the College Football Fix Podcast. With Paul Meyerberg and Dan Wolken. This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. College Football Fix, heading into the last college football game of the 2022 season. It will be Georgia versus TCU for the national championship. And let me start the podcast by saying that we were at best half right about the way this was all going to go. At best. Um Yeah, just honestly did not really see Ohio State putting up that kind of effort against Georgia. Just incredible game. I was there at the Peach Bowl. A phenomenal performance by Ohio State. Comes up just short, 42-41. And once again, did not see at all TCU taking it to Michigan, beating them 51-45 in the Fiesta Bowl. But that's what we got. TCU versus Georgia. Georgia is a little less than a two-touchdown favorite in this game, trying to go back-to-back. For the first time since Alabama in 11-12, we'll talk about all of it. Paul Meyerberg, you were out in Phoenix. Let's start there. 51-45, TCU. Opening play of the game, Michigan gets a 50-yard run right up the gut from Donovan Edwards, and I'm thinking, all right, They're ready to play. Here we go. And then, honestly, I thought from that point on, it was one of the most baffling performances you could possibly have imagined for a Michigan team that had been great all year at doing what they do, and I just thought they soiled the bed in every way. Not Don't want to take anything away from TCU. We'll get to them. But that was my biggest takeaway here. Yeah, you can blame this loss on a defensive cratering that we could not have expected or on a lot of self-inflicted errors. You can blame it on some questionable coaching decisions. Uh, For me, Dan, the reason why Michigan lost this game is because they never imagined in a million years that they would lose. They came into this game obscenely, obscenely confident that they were not just going to win the game, but they were going to hammer TCU. And you saw that publicly. There are indications of it privately. And Michigan was not ready for TCU's challenge because they did not think TCU was going to challenge them. And that, to me, is the statement about this game and defines this loss Michigan did not believe they could lose, and when they started to lose, they panicked. Uh, They got out of their comfort zone, and you saw it in the play calls, and you saw it in the performance of the players themselves. So to me, this loss goes all the way back to the way they prepared for this game, the way they approached this game mentally, and it's beginning to be a trend. This team is a dominant Big Ten team that when they get on this stage does not have the mental or maybe even the physical makeup to compete with the best teams in the country. And two times in a row in as many years, to me, makes that a trend. Well, they had no right to be arrogant last year when they played Georgia, and I don't think that's why they lost that game. But why in the world would you come into a playoff game arrogant? I mean, look, I know it's TCU. You're not playing 
Alabama, Georgia, one of the blue blood programs. But, I mean, you have to think that over the course of a season watching this TCU team play, seeing how resourceful they are, seeing how scrappy they are, that the message over the course of 28 days or whatever it was wouldn't have sunk in that, yeah, these guys are good. Like, we're going to have to play. What in the world was that all about? Wish I could tell you. And I and to me, it's it's an indictment Yeah, of Jim Harbaugh, this coaching staff, and the broader program at large, that you would not take this opponent as seriously as they were taking you. And look, like, you don't need to give TCU a reason to, to, to put that chip back on their shoulder. For individual players, for their coaching staff, for the program, they are desperate to occupy that underdog role. It's where they thrive. And in the way Michigan acted during the week, uh, like I said, in public, and also in terms of privately what was going on, I just really firmly believe that they gave TCU all that they needed to win this game. Not to mention, Dan, uh, if you want to talk about hubris and confidence, fourth and goal at the two-yard line, you're on the Philly special in the opening drive. That tells the other team, uh, we know we're going to be back here a bunch of times. So we're just going to screw around. And TCU took that personally. And I think it was Johnny Hodges or maybe, I, you know, I shouldn't say, but it was one of their key defenders who said after the game, we knew that we could play with them coming in. But when they did that bleep on fourth down, we knew that we were going to be able to handle it because we were tougher than they were. Mentally and physically, we were tougher. That call, it was hard to understand that call. That's not Michigan football. This Michigan team had been, I think, the best in the country at converting fourth downs this season, I believe, by percentage. They had done it a lot. And you have all the options you could possibly want. And you run a play that, honestly, I mean, I was there in Minneapolis when Philly ran the Philly special in the Super Bowl and how great it was. It's a long time ago. That was... February 2018, I was almost five years ago. Since then, like every football team at every level in the country has that play now. And everyone kind of knows to expect it in the two-point conversion or goal line situations. So it's a bad call. I thought the Michigan coaching staff spending the entire first half and I think the first part of the third quarter not running J.J. McCarthy – was incredibly stupid. Like that was to me a play that they could exploit. I thought they could, especially when McCarthy, I mean, two pick sixes run him, run him a little bit, get him some confidence. They didn't do that until it was too late. Obviously their defense collapsed and it's not like Max Duggan had some amazing game throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, this is a choke job and I try not to throw that around I try to be judicious in using that phrase, but to me, this was a choke. I thought it was a terribly coached game by Jim Harbaugh. Awful. I thought his clock management was terrible. I mean, not so much with the timeouts at the end, but the possession before that when they scored, I mean, they were just so slow and deliberate up to the line of scrimmage and huddling and didn't – I thought, you know, if if they leave themselves another minute and a half, maybe the final drive goes a little bit better for them. You know, just a little bit of breathing room. But I I just, I thought it was a bad performance. Obviously, they didn't execute well, but I think it was unforgivable from a coaching standpoint. Yep. I I think from top to bottom, 
like I said, the way they approached the game, uh, the way they approached the preparation during the week um, was not playoff look, caliber. Not playoff caliber. I'm just trying to think of a way to phrase this. Uh, been to a lot of these bowl games, and we've covered a lot of teams in these games, and we've watched these teams get ready. I've never been – okay, I've never heard of a team approach this game as casually and as just overly confident as Michigan, ever. It was like they were playing Hawaii in September to a degree, hyperbole, kind of. But it was like they were not preparing for a college football playoff game in terms of how they were approaching their opponent. TCU heard that. TCU knew that. It was probably the second to last thing they talked about in the locker room. Uh, Michigan does not respect us. Michigan thinks they're going to roll. And I just can't wrap my head around. Days later, I cannot wrap my head around how Michigan allowed itself as a program to not take TCU seriously. They lost this game because they did not take TCU seriously and they were not prepared when the fire drill broke out. They just weren't. And that's why they lost. I truly believe that with the postmortem of this game. That's really, I believe that's why they lost this game. And there's obviously now going to be a question about whether this is the last game Harbaugh coaches at Michigan. We'll talk about that in a moment. Let's uh, go to TCU here. TCU, I where I misjudged them is I did not think that at the line of scrimmage they could compete with Michigan. And by God, they did. And the way they ran the ball between the tackles, sensational. They were just tougher. They were tougher. And I i mean, just think about this program and where they've been. And, you know, and obviously 2014, you, you are thinking maybe, you know, that's their, their big chance. The first year of the playoff, they get left out. They drop from third to sixth on the final weekend, even though they, they won a game by 50-something points. Total screw job by the committee in a way. I thought they had a team that year that was good enough to potentially win it. I mean, Trevon Boykin, I mean, they they were awesome. That was an awesome football team. You know, I thought the year they went to the Rose Bowl before the playoff, Gary Patterson got them out to the Rose Bowl. They beat Wisconsin. They were undefeated. I thought that team, you know, maybe, maybe could have won it. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that was the year – was that the year Auburn won the title? I think that was the year Auburn. So, yeah. you know – could that TCU team loaded with NFL players, could they have beaten Cam Newton and Auburn? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I don't think it's out of the question. So, again, like just TCU, like you're thinking, okay, we had that team, we had that team, they didn't get a shot. Now here they are, man, in the final, one game away. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it, but, I mean, just an amazing, resilient program at a small private school in Fort Worth. You know, you think about all the money and – all the fanfare that you give to Texas and to Texas A&M. And over the last 20 years, uh, almost 20 years, 15 years, mm-hmm. the only program that's really been relevant competitively is TCU in that state. Yeah. I think the job that Sonny Dykes has done very easily ranks among the most successful first-year coaches in the history of the sport. I mean, not even a question about it. You could even, if you wanted to, make an argument that it's one of the best coaching jobs in the last, name it, 
40 years, 30 years, 50 years, whatever. Michigan was caught surprised by how fast TCU was. Um, TCU can fly. They may not be Georgia fast or Georgia fast and big. But every time you saw Diamond Edwards, from my vantage point, try to go around the corner, you thought that he had five, six, or maybe he would get a first down, and TCU would just track him down. TCU can fly on the second level. And Michigan had not seen a team like that all season. Georgia has, probably. But still, TCU is unique. There are three, three, five. You don't see a lot of those in college football. You see a few, not a lot. And... I don't think that Michigan like didn't know what to expect from a three three five, but I think that Michigan was not prepared for TCU to hit like they hit, ran like run like they run, and just overall be as physical as they were. Remember, they lost Kendra Miller like pretty early, and had to go with the backup. Demarcado had an amazing game, one hundred and fifty yards. So they were doing it with their backup running back. Um, so overall, I think a performance that if you didn't believe in TCU before, you obviously do now. I know no one thinks they're going to beat Georgia. To me, if Georgia doesn't take them seriously, they could lose just like Michigan. But we know Georgia will take them seriously. We'll get to that game. But TCU no longer take the M1 by surprise. I mean, they can play. They can just flat out play. All right, let's uh, talk about the report about Jim Harbaugh. And it came from The Athletic that if Harbaugh gets an offer, he will take it this time to go to the NFL. And there's going to be openings Indianapolis he played there a long time that's a natural fit potentially Denver another one there's some other connections like you know Condi Rice Stanford there's a whole bunch of things potentially there in play Um, I think Jim Harbaugh is not the kind of guy who is just going to be somewhere for 15 years that's just not him he's too restless he's too abrasive in the sense that there's just always friction. There's always going to be friction around him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 he wears on people and people wear on him, you know, Michigan, do they have sort of the NIL structure that they need going forward to compete with Ohio state? That's a question mark. And also just like, look, I think at the end of the day, Harbaugh's ultimate goal in coaching is to win a Super Bowl. And he yeah. got close, got really close before. And I believe it. I believe that report. You know, I, I wish Harbaugh would stay in college football and stay in Michigan forever because as weird and goofy and strange as he is, I think he's good for the sport. Mm-hmm. And I think he's found a good niche in terms of understanding what he needs to do to be successful there. But I believe it. And I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if these teams are going to hire him. I do know that if Minnesota, the Vikings, had offered him the job last year, he was going to take it. That was done. He thought he was going to be the next head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. It fell apart. He goes back to Michigan. Um, I don't care what he said about what he wants to do for his career plans long-term, what he said publicly. I I believe this to be true, and I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah, I I believe it as well, and I would even make an argument that it's time. Really? Um, yeah, and not because he can't make another run at it at Michigan. Maybe they can. Um, but it, it might just be time. Is this um, as good as it's going to get? I believe so. Yeah. Um, and that's not a slight. They had a historic regular season in program history. Best regular season by a team, by a Michigan team since post-World War II. Um, truly, just dominant. One game decided by fewer than 
13 points. I mean, get real. But maybe it's time. And not to say that, like, Michigan needs a change of voice to win a national championship. But he's succeeded at his alma mater. His tenure has been a success. Yes. I believe so, even with the 2020 year. So it's time. And look, these are, you mentioned two NFL jobs. I think these are two NFL jobs that, if you're Jim Harbaugh, really interest you. Denver because it's Denver. Indy because you got history there. You get that place. So, yeah, who knows what he's thinking. Uh, Even his peers in coaching or his assistants have no idea what he's thinking. But, yeah, I, I do believe that if those one of those two jobs gets offered, he's going to take it. You know, he's just going to take it. And Michigan will not have to go back to the drawing board, but they'll have a tough decision to make about who replaces him. You, okay, expand on that. Well, there are some people uh, around there who believe that Mike Hart would be a very heavy candidate yep. to be promoted. Um, obviously, if you go back a year, Someone like Matt Campbell would have been a, I wouldn't say a slam dunk by any means, but would have been a major candidate, harder now, after the season that he had. I think what will be the tug and give for award manual is, do you want to try to maintain this kind of thing that Harbaugh has built? Do you want to give it to a Michigan man, to a young guy like Hart, which a lot of programs are doing, trusting a young guy to, to shepherd things forward? Or do you want your legacy or your last major hire as AD at Michigan to be a splash? So I think that's going to be the big question for Michigan if the job opens. Is it a national search and it focuses on national candidates with amazing track records like you would think Michigan would do? Or do you internalize it and go for someone who's in-house? So that's a difficult decision for Michigan. And I would understand both of those concepts, but they would have to make that choice about whether to continue this or try to reinvent it to a degree. Yeah, and there could be another internal candidate there with Sharon Moore, you know, potentially. Um, you know, if it's me and I'm running that search, I'm looking heavily at Chris Kleiman, heavily yeah. at Chris Kleiman, um, because I think you give him the platform and the resources that you have in Michigan, and I think that thing could go even up another level, potentially, potentially. I think he's really – that good of a coach um you know i but it's it, i i don't know that there's like a deep deep candidate pool you know i've heard some people say hey is this a job for pj fleck i don't know that i see that necessarily you know unless he just totally tones down his whole you know persona um i don't know I, you know we'll we'll cross that bridge i guess if we get to it but obviously it would be a major major hire for michigan and for ward manual the athletic director because yeah like you've had success now you've had big 10 championships and there's a lot of ways it could go bad in michigan just look at rich rodriguez brady hoke etc 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 yeah i i this is just a sense and maybe like just sharing senses is the not the smartest thing but i sense that if parball took another job there would be a not small percentage of people at michigan who would say few um who would say okay thank you jim best of luck to you this he is wears, okay. he wears you out man he yep, wears absolutely. you out 
And like I said, I think the way Michigan approached this game has rubbed people the wrong way. Uh, rubbed people the wrong way. All right. Um, so that's the situation with Michigan. Good season. Disappointing ending. Let's go to the Peach Bowl. I was there in Atlanta, and I was not really expecting Ohio State to be able to hang with Georgia for 60 minutes, especially, you know, if you look at the way the game played out, Ohio State starts off hot, 21-7. Georgia's having all kinds of problems covering Marvin Harrison Jr., who just dominated him and CJ Stroud just dominated the first part of that game. And then it settles in Georgia ties it up 21, 21 um, Ohio state, you know, has a, a play it's, it's fourth down and, and they're going to go for it on their side of the field. It's fourth and one, they get a illegal motion penalty and they have to punt. And, you know, Georgia then goes and, and has the ball. And I'm thinking this game's over right now this game's done like Georgia's going to take the lead and they're going to just start to lean on this team I think at that point in the game they were averaging like 10 yards a carry on the ground like it I thought that at that moment it could have fallen off a cliff for Ohio State but they hold Georgia to a field goal there 24-21 Georgia lead and then Ohio State marches right back down the other way, scores a quick touchdown to end the half. They get the ball coming out to start the second half, score again, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is not going the way I thought it was going to go. Meanwhile, Stetson Bennett at that part of the game was like totally out of sorts. I thought he was he was jittery. He was second-guessing himself. He wasn't seeing the game very well. He was making bad choices. He was, he was out of it. He was the Stetson Bennett that people thought he was, you know, September of last year. That's yeah. the Stetson Bennett we saw for that part of the game. He admitted it. He said for 30 minutes of that game, I just played bad football. And then it's fourth quarter time. Ohio State's got a two-touchdown lead. And then here comes Georgia. Here comes Stetson Bennett. Obviously, a lot of things had to happen for Georgia to win that game. One of them was Marvin Harrison Jr. getting knocked out. One of them was uh, Brock Bowers converting a fourth down, reaching the ball out by an inch that only gets overturned on replay. It was called on the field as a stop for Ohio State. They were going nuts. Um, I mean, just so many different things, so many things. You know, Kirby Smart calling a timeout a second before Ohio State runs a fake punt that they were going to convert. And then on the very next play, after the timeout, after they punt, 75-yard touchdown pass from Stetson Bennett. So, I mean, it was just a bunch of things. And then at the end of the game, Bennett, touchdown drive, 50-something seconds left. Is that too much time? Here comes C.J. Stroud. They get into field goal range. And then they just kind of stopped. You know, they get they got into that zone, and they just couldn't. They couldn't get any more yards, you know, and I think really for Ohio State to feel good about that kick, I think they would have needed to get maybe eight eight more yards, you know, make it about a 41-42 yarder. Yep. 50's tough. 50's tough. And, you know, the kick just the kick just didn't come close. But, you know, amazing effort for Ohio State. I think 
the people second guessing Ryan Day and some of the stuff, I think that's misguided. I don't. I thought Ryan Ryan Day coached a great game. Um, I just think, honestly, I don't. I don't know that the right team won that game. If you, if we're going to be honest about it, I don't know that Georgia was the better team that day. Yeah, it's fascinating to hear you say that. Um, at the very least, in surprised, maybe shocked by how tough Ohio State was, not just from a physical perspective, but everyone in the country questioned them, questioned their mental fortitude after Michigan. They got taken to task. Yeah. Um, what do you make of that response? And and look, like like we've talked about Ryan Day, uh, next year's big. Has your perception of the goodwill that he might have gained back even in the loss, is there something to that? And is there something to this loss that makes you think that Ohio State maybe has figured something out about how to prepare for these sort of teams? I think for Ohio State, there's two different ways to look at it. There's the, all right, we got on the stage with Georgia, defending national champion, number one all year long, and we went blow for blow. We stood up to the challenge. We just came up a play short and frankly it was a tough luck loss you know one other thing goes the other way and we win we're playing for national championship and we're probably the national champions that's one way to look at it the other way to look at it is all right ohio state like they lost their last two games of the year they didn't win a big 10 title they had cj stroud you know he he doesn't win a big 10 title as a a starting quarterback um they don't play for a national championship with all this offensive skill. And, you know, the expectations for that program are that 11-2 and without a Big Ten title, without beating Michigan, is just not good enough. (laughs) You know, so, look, I think both of those viewpoints have some validity to them. And I think the the ultimate answer is just kind of we'll see. Let's see them do it again. Because... It's true that they came into this game and felt they had nothing to lose. And they were going to just let it all hang out there. You know, this Ohio State team was going to play as if they they had a free role at this thing. And I thought that's how they played. And they flew, flew around, and they were aggressive in everything they did. And I thought it worked out great. It made them look like a real – it made them look like the program they're supposed to be. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day – I mean, Georgia just did the things that the little things that they needed to do to win. And I think that's why Georgia's Georgia. You know, I didn't watch any post game media availability. I did have someone who was in Phoenix who watched it say to me, Kirby looked angry. Is that well, too strong about his team's performance? I think or that's, how close I, it was? I think that's too strong. Um, look, I think at the end of that game, Everybody was drained, just drained emotionally, physically, which is what you would expect. I mean, that's the kind of game that drains you. Uh, but there was there was a funny moment where, you know, Stetson Bennett was talking about some of his struggles, and um, he uh, he mentioned that lateral that he threw, that that ill advised lateral that really could have been a disastrous play for Georgia. And when he when he mentioned that. Kirby just sort of leans back and closes his eyes. He kind of looked like this. And I know you can't see me on the podcast, but I mean, like the look on his face was just like, 
he was just like it was like a like breathing in heavily, closing his eyes, right. you know, trying to just like meditate it away. Give me strength. Um, yeah, serenity now. <laughs> um, angry's too strong. I think he felt like you know he said it. We got to play better than this. TCU's really good. If we play like this against TCU, we might lose. Yeah. Um. At the same time, you know, I think this is an interesting topic. It got brought up a little bit. There was a conference call today with with the coaches and a few players. Like in this era of college football, when you get to this point in the season, it's hard to play defense. Yeah. It's really hard. And, you know, look, Georgia's got some vulnerabilities on the back end of their defense. That much was obvious. We saw it. They couldn't cover Marvin Harrison. Um, even after Harrison went out, you know, there were some some opportunities to make plays, but I just think like you get into these playoff games and the execution is such a high level. The skill is such a high level. You know, Kirby was asked about it today. If it was fatigue or, or what, why it is, but he just said, yeah, like, you know, we've been in a lot of shootouts in these kind of games and they have, you know, Georgia, Georgia versus Oklahoma in the Rose bowl. Right. Um, you know, even last year against, uh, against Alabama, it was a bit of a shootout mm-hmm. a, a bit. Um, I just think it's it's really hard. I think offenses have the advantage, and you you are just not going to win championship games seventeen thirteen anymore. No, and and what Kirby said uh, was he said something like, "Oh, maybe it's fatigue and impacting tackling." I don't know. I mean, he he obviously knows infinitely more than I do. I don't I don't quite think that's accurate. I think it's it's more along the lines of like you said, when you reach this level top four, even top eight, um, talent, scheme, execution. And no matter right. how much of a defensive mastermind you are, whether you're Nick Saban or you're, you know, Kirby Smart or whoever, you to win a national championship, you can get to this point by playing a little bit of a sloppy, not sloppy, but traditional style of offense. But you're not going to win a national championship unless you can score 42 points in Ohio State because Ohio State's going to score 41 so that's a realization I think Georgia came to grips with maybe after losing Alabama the first time and started to try to bring things into a new generation almost or a new evolution. Um, so I think Kirby just doesn't like it, which I get. He doesn't like it, but he knows that this is the style of football you need to play to win a national championship, not just play for one, but win one. Well, he's a defensive guy, and he, yeah. that's his DNA, and he was around some – absolutely amazing defenses at Alabama. I thought his defense last year was awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, but I just think that right now at this era, like you need to go into a game thinking, how are we going to score 35 points? Mm-hmm. And I, I just, and I, and they know that, and you just sort of have to accept that. Um, you know, he mentioned there were some bumps and bruises, some injuries uh, that also contributed to the fact that at the end of the game, Ohio state was able to kind of go down the field a little bit you know i think though it's going to be the same thing against tcu as it was against ohio state if they don't get some pressure on the quarterback they're going to be kind of vulnerable back there and you know i I, kirby doesn't like to bring a whole lot of extra guys he doesn't love to blitz a whole lot he likes to be able to get pressure you know with their front but if they're not, then you got to make some adjustments. Uh, they did that. Obviously, the last the last play before the field goal attempt, Georgia brought the house. They brought everybody. Yeah. 
you know, and if that didn't work, Ohio State might have, you know, won with a walk-off touchdown, you know. So, um, but that's how desperate it felt at that point in the game. We'll see what their plan is. It's 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 not a lot of time, and I do think in this game, when you look at the way these two semifinals played out, I think the one factor that nobody really will know until kickoff is which team does a better job of bouncing back emotionally from, like I said before, games that were just physically and emotionally draining. Yeah, that's definitely an X factor. And and from my perspective, I think TCU is going to be in a better place from that regard. Um, They're boosted by the win. I think they focus back on that win as they prep for Georgia and watch the film and study that and will focus on all the things they did right to win that game. I think it's a tendency for a program like Georgia, just like an Alabama before it or an SC before that, to expect greatness and then focus on what you do wrong. So I think that's the trick for Georgia is to kind of put Ohio State in your rear view and and just get refocused on TCU and focus on TCU. Focus on how to, like you mentioned, they don't like to bring the house. They're going to need to run blitz TCU. I don't care how big their guys are up front. What they did against Michigan suggests that they can run on anybody. So they need to get ready for a different, a different sort of offense, despite the similarities between TCU and Ohio State. It's a different type of offense because, essentially, if you stop TCU from running the football, Max Duggan's not going to CJ Stroud you to death. It's just not going to happen. They're not their quarterbacks operating on a different level, especially recently. So, it's a great question about the mental makeup of this game. I think TCU is going to be very confident, uh, and I don't think Georgia, after that game, is going to take them lightly like Michigan did. I think they'll be focused, but um, they're going to need to be because TCU can step up and shock you. I just We can't overlook the fact that TCU has a narrow avenue to win this game, but the avenue does exist. All right, so what's going to happen Monday night in Los Angeles? I said before kickoff down on the field in the Fiesta, TCU's got a – flip the field at least once. They did it twice. Uh, and that's why they won the game. They're not going to beat Georgia without doing the same. I don't I don't think that you can play Georgia even if you're TCU and expect to win. No disrespect to TCU. Georgia's one of the Mount Rushmore programs in college football right now. And TCU's just not. TCU's playing with house money. Georgia's not. So if they can run the football, if they can force Georgia to uh, – Honestly, to go back to that, if they need to run the football and they need Duggan to run the football, I'd run his ass into the ground. Um, and I would do everything I can to keep Georgia off balance. Um, extended drives, success on first down, no turnovers. TCU does that and gets Georgia into a shootout, they can win this game. Because I think TCU can score 35 points on Georgia. But any errors, uh, any uh, sort of letdown in terms of how Georgia has dominated teams in the second half, um not a perfect game for TCU. They need to play an A game to win this. I'm not sure if they can do that, um, but they need to play that, I think, to have any shot. Georgia's the talent and experience gap is and depth gap is pretty profound. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good game for a half. I think it'll go into halftime close. TCU might even have the lead going into halftime, but I do think Georgia's overall depth will play a factor. You know, Georgia didn't create a turnover against Ohio State. I think they'll get a turnover or two in this game. I, I think they maybe 
stretch it out a little bit in the fourth quarter and and they win you know by around the point spread that's kind of what i'm expecting yeah i think 14 when that came out like i know people are surprised because it's a national championship game it, it feels very fair um not to say TCU is just happy to be there, but 13 and a half, 14, look at these two teams. Um, yeah, I see it. I see it for Georgia. All right, let's hit some other topics that came out of the bowl games, especially the uh, New Year's Six Bowls. Tennessee beat Clemson pretty solidly, 31-14. I mean, this is a game where, you know, you're looking for Clemson to show some juice here coming off that ACC title where Cade Klubnick was terrific. And then, you know, they get in this game, and, and they were able to move the ball up and down the field. They ended up with 484 yards of offense, but just absolutely nothing in, in the red zone, turned it over a couple times. Uh, Tennessee wins comfortably. I think that's a bad loss for Clemson. I mean, Tennessee had a lot of guys out. Obviously, Hendon Hooker had been injured. Jalen Hyatt didn't play. I mean, great, great for Tennessee you know, really good win. And maybe it all doesn't matter, but I just feel like, I mean, Clemson, we've, we've talked about it all year. Like they need to change some, some stuff. They need to move some things around. And if they don't get that message after getting just, you know, kind of run off the field by Tennessee's, you know, a minus or B plus roster. I don't, I don't know what will convince Dabo that he's got to, you know, he's got to do something. Yeah, let's not even talk about the offense for just a sec. Tennessee's backup QB. Yeah. He's been a backup his entire career. Stepped in, went 19 of 28 for 253 touchdowns, no picks. That's just the defense. Offensively, they ran 101 plays. Yeah, it's amazing. To run 101 plays and average like 4.9 a pop against, like you said, a Tennessee team not at full strength, that, that makes me kind of nauseous. Um, there are moments when Dan, I watched that game and I looked on the field and I like pre-snap Clemson offense and just thought their skill talent's a joke. Like their skill talent is a joke. How did this happen? If you're another program, like another team who wants to compete for a national championship, you're kicking the damn door in on the portal and bringing in as many wide receivers as you can, as many other running backs, another tight end. Clemson's probably not going to do that. I'm just really skeptical looking at who they have, uh, the kind of development we've seen for the last two years at skill talent positions. Like, I wanted them to have a nice game so I could be like, I'll put Clemson number two in my early top 25, be a little bit different. I don't know how you look at that team and think, yeah, that's a top two or even a top four team. They've got so much work to do, and the talent just isn't there, and it's probably not going to be. Alabama... Got down early against Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl, but uh, ran away with it 45-20. They looked awesome in the final game of Bryce Young's career. Um, It was about the early third quarter of that game where you started to see people on social media tweeting that Alabama should have been in the playoff. (laughs) Alabama is one of the four best teams. Um, Obviously, Alabama should not have been in the playoff uh, based on what they accomplished this year. Uh, But as I had said, I think even before – the four teams were selected. Um, Look, if you give Alabama a month to prepare and to get healthy, they're going to look a lot better than they did in the regular season. As they just are. They're, you know, Saban, that's traditionally 
something we've seen from his teams. That doesn't matter this year. It 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 could matter in two years when there's a twelve team playoff, you know. And and so, I think that's where it's going to be kind of interesting. Is you know, two years from now in Alabama that wouldn't have made a four teamer, not a team you're going to want to see in your in your bracket, you know. Yeah, but you're um you're Iowa, and you won the Big Ten, and your gift is playing Alabama at home as the second best, you know, the the seven seed or eight seed or something like that. That's a nightmare. Um, after the game, Dan, Nick Saban didn't say it outright. But he sure as hell suggested that Alabama's one of the best four teams in the country. Did you see that or hear that? I didn't I didn't hear the I didn't see that quote exactly, but it was along the lines of, hey, like we're we're a really good team. Like we played well enough this season to be in that group, to be included in that conversation. And he's right. Yeah. Um, uh, but they didn't earn it. They didn't earn it on the field. What I, what they did against Kansas State to me um, expected. We didn't really talk about this going into the game. That Bryce Young and Will Anderson played in that game. Um, I don't. Is there anything to make out of that? I mean, they're gone. I'm not saying like they're coming back, but what does that say about a motivated Alabama team? going into next season. Do you think that's a reflection of a program that is really upset about this year? No. Want to end on a high note and get it to next year and on, on with a running start? They should be upset about it. But, you know, they're going to have a different team. It's going to be a different roster. We'll, you know, we'll see if they add people in the portal or whatever. I'm a little worried about their quarterback situation. I mean, is it going to be Jalen Milrow? He didn't look ready to me this past year when we saw him. No. Maybe he will be in, you know, in in 8 months, but he didn't look ready to me when we saw him this year. Yeah, and maybe I'm just airballing somebody, but I don't believe there's anyone currently in the portal where Alabama would be like, oh, we, we got to have him. Having said that, if Alabama wants a quarterback, you'll see a quarterback in the portal yeah. that Alabama wants. Sure, but also, like, who's going to be their offensive coordinator? I don't think it's going to be Bill O'Brien. You know, who's going to be their defensive coordinator? There's just a lot of question marks. I mean, yeah, maybe they're going to be awesome. But I still kind of am, despite as good as they looked in the Sugar Bowl, I am not discounting the possibility that Saban's already won his last national title. Hmm. It's a possibility. I think he's got another one in him. I think he's going to coach another five or six years. Odds are he's going to win one right there. By the way, this is 15 years in a row with 10 or more wins for Alabama. Yeah, pretty good program. That's a, They're doing okay. I'm still waiting for them to break through, Dan. But they're doing okay. They're knocking on the door of greatness. Um, just not quite. All right, so so there was no college football on uh, January 1st because it was Sunday and the NFL took over. So the f- other bowl games, the final bowl games, were moved to Monday, January 2nd. Uh, started off with uh, Mississippi State beating Illinois 19-10, to a tribute to uh, Mike Leach, who tragically passed away in December, and um, you know they they wore the pirate uh, flag on their helmets. It was all very much a tribute to to their former coach. Um, you know Zach Arnett, defensive coordinator, has been promoted to full time head coach there. We'll see what happens with the Mississippi State program, but you know everything I think was building up to. You know, winning one for Leach, and and they were able to get it done, nineteen to ten over Illinois, and uh, I don't know that I have much to say about that other than it, it was a painful month, and I think 
the way they they performed was was maybe you know at least for the players a little bit of a cathartic um, way to end the season. Yeah, I worry about what comes next for these guys. Like your coach dies just out of nowhere, but you're around your guys, you're around your teammates, you're getting prepped for a bowl game. So I think now is when Mississippi State's going to take a step back and really need good leadership. I think the next couple of months are going to be really tough for these guys. Um, for the returning players, it's going to be pretty tough. So um, we'll see how Arnett and the administration handles it, but it is great for them to get a win. I mean, it doesn't replace anything or, or no. you know, overcome anything, but I, I think it's good for the team to feel good about themselves going into the, to what I said would be could be a, a pretty tough three or four months until the spring happens. All right, and then in the Cotton Bowl, uh, just amazing. Uh, Tulane... <laughs> Tulane beats USC. Tulane beats USC. Let me say that one more time. Tulane beats USC 46-45. Tulane was down by 15 inside the final five minutes. It did not look like they could stop Caleb Williams at all. Um, you know, Tulane was down 12. They, they fumbled the ball. With, with about 10 minutes left, uh, USC kind of grinds some clock. Their drive, they, they have a long drive that kind of stalls out at the 26. They, they add a 43-yard field goal. So they're up 45-30, four and a half left. You're thinking, all right, this thing's done. You know, there's no way Tulane can, can come back here. It's not enough time, not enough players, whatever. Lo and behold, they get the ball. Two plays, two plays, touchdown. Yep. against that defense. So it's down to eight. They kick the ball off. Mario Williams, for some reason, as he's floating to the sideline, tries to catch it out of the air. You know, I don't know if that kickoff was going to go out of bounds or if it was going to be a touchback. It, who knows, right? But he tries to field it. He, like, just whatever, mishandles it. And it goes out of bounds at the one. And when that happened, I sort of had the feeling that okay this thing may get weird because that because that kind of thing does not happen that that play does not happen just as an interjection it doesn't have to happen in college anymore the, right. the second the ball leaves the kicker's foot you can fair catch anything you want right you know what i mean and the right. play's dead so we're going to build up to a crescendo of how usc blew this game and that's just like part of it and right. then what happened then, so they're at the one, first and ten, run it up the middle, get stuffed. Second and ten, run it up the middle, get stuffed again, and it's a safety. Two yards deep in the end zone, wasn't even close to getting out of the end zone. Which, you know, look, I understand that like that's what coaches do sometimes when they're backed up to their own end zone. They want to run the ball, get three yards, get a little bit of space. Uh, but, you know, if I'm coaching USC and – Look, Lincoln Riley knows way more about football and how to coach offense than I ever will. Uh, I don't know if it's me. I, I maybe try to let Caleb Williams make a play because he's made about fifty thousand plays yeah. for for him this season and a whole bunch during the course of the game. Whatever, um, but it's a safety. Three minutes left, and at that point, down six, getting the ball back. I mean, I thought Tulane was going to win. Yeah. Because USC couldn't stop them. I had almost no doubt. I really had almost no I mean, they had to do a couple fourth downs along the way, but I had almost no doubt. 
Tulane hadn't been stopped all game. They averaged 10.4 yards per play. Every time Tulane touched the football, they gained a first down. Tulane, Tulane had 539 total yards in the game. They attempted 18 passes and 34 runs in the game. They had 538 yards. Nine. Nine yards. Nine. And had the ball for 20 minutes. It's incredible. It's 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 something. USC could not have done a better job giving the game to Tulane if they had tried. Correct. Um, they basically were like, "What? Hey, let's do this math. What's the easiest and quickest way to give them 16 points? Okay, so we'll let them score as fast as possible. Oh, we get this. Then we're going to botch the kickoff." At the one, we'll give them a safety, and then we'll let them have the game-winning touchdown with nine seconds left. Couldn't have drawn it up any better if you tried. I wanted this year for SC to be remembered as a successful one. I think it still should be. This is a hard one to let go. I know it's been 48 hours. This is a hard one to let go, and I think USC is going to have some atoning to do with the national public to make people forget about this. I mean, wrong and bad on a lot of different levels. I mean, I just don't understand how you lose a game where you had 594 total yards, 11 for 15 on third down, 2 for 2 on fourth down, even in the turnover battle, only committed five penalties. It's it's crazy. Um, had the ball for 40 minutes. Uh, it's a bad loss. It's a bad loss. Now, congratulations to Tulane. Unbelievable season, 12-2. and two, Greatest turnaround in college football from one year to the other and in, in the history of the sport, two, two and 10 to 12 and two. Um, Willie Fritz, amazing. Just awesome story. Love it. Couldn't, couldn't love it anymore. USC's got to change some, some things. I mean, I understand it's the first year. I understand, you know, it wasn't ideal. I understand, you know, talent on defense, but this is just a continuation of what we saw at Oklahoma. I think they need to definitely, change defensive coordinators like I don't think like this is going to get better with Alex Grinch I think their strength and conditioning program is garbage I watch USC every time and I think like these guys need to get in the weight room yeah you know they and you know Oklahoma fans I I tweet something and Oklahoma fans basically you know have a lot to say about Benny Wiley the strength and conditioning coach that that Lincoln brought with him from Oklahoma that he's a you know, he's a CrossFit guy, and they're doing, you know, Pilates and jazzercise out there in L.A., um, you know, rather than lifting a bunch of heavy things. And, look, I, I ph- philosophically, it's all part of the same recipe. Lincoln Riley wants speed and flexibility and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I just think we've seen enough. We've seen enough. You can't win at the highest level doing that. You know, you've got to get back to the fundamentals, strength, size, winning in the trenches. Georgia has found a way to be fast and physical. They're going to have to practice differently. They're going to have to hit. Like, I think this is I think this is just a moment where, and I know it's just year one at USC, but, like, you're not going to win the level you're, you're, you want to win at USC if you don't care about defense. And I think there needs to be a buy-in program-wide, the defense matters, and that starts with the head coach. Yeah, I, I, 
losing in a semifinal is a lot better than losing in the Cotton Bowl. But I couldn't help but think during that game as Tulane oh racked God. up 300 yards of rushing. Uh, oh, my God. Thank God that we're not playing Georgia. Yeah, um, it would have been so bad. It would have been very, 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 very bad. But maybe this is a come-to-Jesus moment for SC. You got embarrassed by Tulane. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. Tulane's a great team, but if you're USC and you think of yourself as you are USC, then you're embarrassed by this. So maybe they go back to the drawing board. Uh, maybe this time they go into the portal and focus on defense instead of just accumulating rock star offensive talent. Um, and like you said, I, I think we're always asking where the beef is with SC. They've got to get bigger up front. They've got to get stronger. And they need to figure out their defense before they join the Big Ten because they can do whatever they want and and be fancy pants on offense and score a ton of points. But when push comes to shove in the Big Ten, it, it's still a physical league, uh, way more physical than the Pac-12. I mean, more physical than the Pac-12. And if they don't get that straight, they're going to get pushed around like this at least once or twice a season. And when this happens once or twice a season, you are in trouble if you're the head coach at USC. All right, so that's the Sugar Bowl. I'm, I'm sorry, the Cotton Bowl. Um, and then we had the Rose Bowl, which was a pretty good game for two and a half quarters. Uh, very competitive. And then Cam Rising just you know, ran into three tacklers and got hurt. And at that point, um, you know, Utah was just very much in trouble. And Penn State ends up with a 35-21 win to finish an 11-2 season where – they beat everybody they're supposed to beat and lost to the two teams they're not supposed to beat. I don't think you ever take it for granted at Penn State to go win a Rose Bowl, a Rose Bowl season, 11 wins. They're going to you know, finish well within the top 10. Uh, is, it a, is it a smashing success? Is it just a good season at Penn State? Is it, does it leave you wanting more? How do, how do they feel there? I believe it's a smashing success, I mean, of those options. I'll just say this. It's a success, and you, you can't look at it any other way. Based off the last two years, based off the fact that a lot of people were kind of rolling their eyes at James Franklin, at the direction of the program, it's a successful year. Like you said, yeah, they lost to the teams they were supposed to lose to, Ohio State and Michigan. But I believe every other win was by double digits. They didn't just take care of business. They handled every team they played. Um, and most importantly, I think you saw some stardom on this team. Well, running backs. I mean, Singleton's big time. He's big time. Um, uh, I think they've got a rising sophomore who's ready to step in for Sean Clifford, who, by the way, great way to end his career. He's been maligned. uh, So very happy for him. You saw the emotion in the last minute or two, which the TV cameras caught. Um, I think Penn State, what they've done this year is kind of vault back into the conversation. I think there's going to be a lot of hype around this team, uh, a lot of hype, like in the next – three, four, five, six months. And I think, um, yeah, I think this is a team that will enter next season as one of the teams that is in the playoff conversation and maybe co-favorites with Michigan uh, or with Ohio State to win the Big Ten. All right. Well, that was uh, the last week of college football since we last podcasted. Um, just a very interesting and, and fascinating season coming to a close Monday night in Los Angeles, Georgia versus TCU for the national title. We will both be out there to cover it. Uh, I'm sure we will come back after the game and and talk about it. Uh, But uh, for now, 
We will leave you for the week. Hope everybody had a great start to 2023. For Paul Meyerberg, for college sports editor Eric Smith, thanks very much for uh, helping us along here. I'm Dan Wolken with the College Football Fix. Please subscribe to USA Today Sports and the USA Today Sports Plus app, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We will talk to you all next time. The College Football Fix Podcast. With Paul Meyerberg and Dan Wolken. This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. Sports.